Welcome to Recover Strong, a podcast that will transform your recovery from an eating disorder by helping you go from theory to practice to mastery. This is your special time to learn new skills, tools, and get the inspiration you need to recover strong. Let's get started. Good morning, warriors. Time to start your day. I'm your host, Jessica Flint. I'm the founder and CEO of Recovery Warriors, a wisdom sharing platform for all people impacted by an eating disorder. Recovery Warriors provides resources and support to heal your relationship to food, body, mind, and soul. I believe recovery is not only possible, but it is worth it. That is why Recover Strong exists, to help you see and connect to the potential that lies within you to find freedom from an eating disorder. Today, we have a conversation with an inspiring warrior named Lisette Hoschek. She's been a big part of Team Recovery Warriors over the years, and not only has gone through pretty much all of our programs as a student, she also has been a part of our editorial team and has written nearly a hundred articles on Recovery Warriors. Lisette is a resource of hope to so many in the recovery community and is now a certified diet recovery coach that helps women stop hating their bodies and relax around food. Before Lizette found recovery, she was busy living a life trying to fit the expectations of everyone around her. She was so worried about what people thought. She exhausted herself every day trying to fit the ideals of being a perfect mom, a perfect daughter, and a perfect wife. Essentially, she was a major people pleaser, plain and simple. She was so concerned about everyone else that she lost sight of herself. And you possibly could relate to that. Now, Lizette is living a life where she's putting herself first using her voice, and finding her passions all while living a recovered life. I'm so excited for you to listen to Lizette's story and hear how she got to where she is now. Because if you are struggling at any age, know that recovery is possible. She has an incredible transformation to share. So now let's get into this conversation with Lizette Hoschek. Welcome to the show, Lizette. I'm just so grateful that you are here to share your story. It's been truly amazing to see how far you've come since we first connected. Thank you for having me. It is such an honor and it's kind of surreal to be a guest on a show that has really, truly changed my life. So thank you for having me. So you you have been listening to the show since the earliest days. Where were you at then in your journey? I had three kids at the time. I was a stay-at-home mom. I had been in and out of quote recovery. I struggled with an eating disorder starting from high school. And at that point, I had been to treatment twice, had gone in and out of recovery and was in a pretty significant relapse. Um, I had a one-year-old, a three-year-old and a six-year-old and was just drowning in the eating disorder. Yeah. That's just so much work to have three because there were three kids. Wow. Yeah. So were you just feeling like the eating disorder was something that was your time to yourself? Or like, why do you think looking back, why did the eating disorder really pop up then? 
I think, well, in one hand, I think I never really healed the eating disorder. The times that I was in quote recovery, I was working really hard to still keep my body in this target range that I thought meant I was healthy. And so I never really had a solid recovery. So anytime I had like stressors in my life, even good stressors, I relapsed. I relapsed before my wedding. Like I relapsed anytime things changed. So I don't think I ever really had a solid foundation of recovery. But then at that point, I think being a new mom and having, you know, your life changes so much that it's not even your own. And I kind of see some of the things we do with our body and eating disorders moms tend to do with their kids where like, if my body is a certain way, then I'm okay. And then it turns into like, if my kids, you know, behave a certain way, or if my kids are really good at this, then maybe I'm okay. And it just kind of blurred into every part of my life. And I didn't really have any time for myself you know, my identity was a mom. And so I just kind of like lost myself in everything. Um, I had like a moment when I found the show, I, I went to the grocery store with all three of the boys. Baby was in the cart and the two younger one, they're all boys. They were running around. The grocery store was um, remodeling. So they had like stuff in all the aisles. So it was just, I was overwhelmed. I have this huge cart of groceries uh, that are terrifying me, you know, and I've got these kids running around me. I can't get through the aisles. And all I wanted was to get some Diet Coke, which was like one of the things I was allowing myself to have. And I couldn't get to the aisle. And I stopped at the end of the aisle and I told them, you know, stay right here. I'm just going to go around the corner to grab one more thing and we're going to leave. And when I went around the corner, I had this really intrusive thought of, you should just keep it walking, like walk out the door, walk out of the grocery store, walk out of the walk down the street, walk away. And then it was followed by huge feelings of shame and like, how could I want to walk out of my life? I've all I ever wanted was to have kids and have a husband. And I had everything I wanted, but I was so miserable. And I went home from the grocery store, was horrified. I put on TV for them and I got on my laptop and I was just Googling. I was like, eating disorders in your 40s, you know, is it possible to recover from an eating disorder? Just, I don't even know. And the Recovery Warriors show popped up and I had never heard of Recovery Warriors. I had never listened to a podcast. And I just, I started listening to an episode and I just kept listening. And, you know, nobody's story was my exact story, but I could um, relate to every single story. Like there was something in every story that I was like, wow, that is me. And I heard these stories after stories of women changing their lives. And I realized, like, I don't want to spend any more of my life in this place. Like, it is possible. So it gave me that hope. And that was, you know, really my call to, like, change my life and um, really move out of this place because I couldn't stay in that place anymore. Yeah. Wow. It's such a powerful when you, like, find a specific story to when you notice, like, wow, this needs to change. Yeah. Intrusive thoughts. I know that my my good friend, she's a therapist who works with moms specifically on intrusive thoughts. And it's really common to have like yeah. these intrusive thoughts. And then there's the shame, which is so in, tied with the eating disorder too. Like, <gasps> would like, should I be thinking these things? Or like, why did I think about that? Like in the kind of that repress that the urge for your own freedom. And what was it? The freedom really from your eating disorder was calling for you. Yeah. And I had like lost any piece of myself. So, you know, I woke up dreading every day and I just, I, I just, the hope, hearing the hope that it could be different was like 
I don't know, that ignited something in me to like try again and try to do this like differently. Cause I had kind of gotten to the point where I was thinking, you know, maybe this is just going to be my life. You know, maybe I'm just never going to really move out of this. Um, I've been to therapy, I've been to treatment, I've been to groups and, you know, I never could really reach that freedom. And, but when I realized, okay, maybe I can, I'm going to try this again. It was, it was a changer. Yeah. Yeah. How has the journey to discovering yourself evolved? Because I think that is a big piece for you is allowing yourself to have your identity and be a mom. You know, I'm I'm this and a mom. Yeah. I mean, it was amazing because even, um, you know, just deciding to go to treatment felt so foreign and so opposite of what I understood as what a mom is supposed to be. Like to me in my mind before being a mom and putting myself last taking care of everybody else, you know, so like even the idea of focusing on myself was foreign. And then in your courses, when I was able to really learn about who I was without the eating disorder, um, and I always felt worried that I was like this empty shell, like there wasn't somebody inside there. Like I always had that Mm. feeling that like, who am I going to be without this? I don't know if I am anybody. Or like, would it be disappointing? Like if I was yeah. to find out who I am, would I be disappointed? Kind of? I just felt like I was empty. Like there wasn't something inside of me. I don't know why. So like learning about, and I think I had always lived my life trying to be what I thought I was supposed to be for everybody else. Like I'm supposed to be this. I'm supposed to be a good daughter. I'm supposed to be a good student. I'm supposed to be a good mom. Like, And I would mold myself into whatever I thought that situation needed me to be. And so to be a good mom, I'm supposed to be a certain way. And in recovery, learning that I actually have my own values and I have certain things that matter to me the most and I have passion and that I actually have a purpose and that like it's okay to nurture those. And it's actually good for my family if I nurture those things in myself. That was a huge shift, you know, and it happened slowly over a long time. But really like reconnecting with my um, love of art and to paint and to draw and to write. And I had, you know, a long time ago, for some reason, gotten the message that I couldn't be a writer. That's not something I could be. And to like go back to what did I want to be when I was five? I wanted to be a writer. And really going back into that has been just so powerful. And it just makes me excited again, you know, instead of waking up with that feeling of dread, I'm waking up excited to do things. And it just feels amazing. Where do you think that voice or that message came from that, you know, you can't be a writer or that that's not something you should put your energy into? I think it came from a lot of places, definitely from my family. (laughs) Um, My, you know, my, and I love my parents. They do everything that they could to raise me in the best way that they knew how. And my mom grew up with a very strong opinion of what a woman's purpose is. And her purpose is to get married and to have kids and to take care of her family. And I think I got the message that I wouldn't make money that way and that only a few people make money that way. And they're like super talented and extra special. And you need to get a job to support yourself until you get a husband and then you get married and then you raise your kids. (laughs) So that was kind of the script I got as a child. And you live in the South, which I, uh-huh. the script I think is universal, but I know in the South, this yes. is very scripted. <laughs> yes. And I have always loved children. I have always wanted to, like I worked with children before I had got married. I've always been drawn to children. So I did want to have children, but 
I somewhere I lost the idea that, you know, I could be an artist, I could be a writer, I could be all those things. And I know we've bonded in the past, I think before I even started teaching courses was around your PCOS story of polycystic ovarian syndrome, and even wrote an article on Recovery Warriors about that. How did that factor in with the eating disorder? Because, well, first, maybe kind of let someone know what PCOS is and why eating Mm -hmm. disorders can be a little bit of a mind fuck with Mm -hmm. PCOS (laughs) because there's a lot of things that they say, like (laughs) the ways to like treat it. And so it can be a little bit confusing if you get that diagnosis, plus fears of wanting to have kids and a lot of stories of not being able to. So how did that factor in with your recovery? So polycystic ovarian syndrome is what PCOS is. And my mom had it, had it as well. And she had it before it was even called that. It was called, I think, Stein-Leventhal disease or something like that. And so I was diagnosed in high school. And I, I really think that there is a strong correlation with PCOS and eating disorders. And for me, I had always been in a pretty small body. I was always shortest one in my class and I was pretty small. And I didn't really hit puberty. I was in high school before I even hit puberty and I never got like a regular period. So I was a junior in high school and my mom took me to the doctor for it. And they diagnosed me with it and put me immediately on birth control and hormones. And I gained weight right then. Like that's when I basically went through puberty. But in my mind, I had always been this other size. And that's when I started messing with my food and the eating disorder developed. So looking back on it now, I realized I was going through puberty. My body was supposed to change, but I wasn't okay with that and fought it and, you know, tried to keep my body in this range that it really naturally has never supposed to have been. So it definitely was a part of that. And then I was told at the time, you know, you may, you may not be able to have kids, but my mom was told she wouldn't be able to have kids and she has three kids. So I tried not to worry about it until I was married. And I mean, even before we went, we were married, I went to the doctor to talk about possible things. And we did go through some fertility assistance with getting pregnant. And then I had some miscarriages in between that are probably linked to the PCOS. But um, I think that now it's, it's definitely triggering, you know, if I go to a doctor and they see that I have that, the first thing they talk about is, you know, your diet and your carbohydrates. And it's, it's unfortunately, that's, you know, if you get on the internet and you read about PCOS, that's what they suggest. But I've learned a lot from some people in the field and have been doing some more natural things to try to help balance and like working a lot with adding in protein instead of, you know, cutting out carbs and that kind of thing. Wow. Okay. So you had this journey through fertility. So you have these three boys. At that breaking point, you're like, this is my whole dream. I've always <laughs> wanted and now I'm overwhelmed right. and just come feeling so out of it. So when you started to do the, do the work to really just let yourself become who you're meant to be, both as your identity and your body, what has that been like for you? Have you had challenges along the way? What's come up for you? Yeah. I mean, definitely like initially the challenges were, you know, even just like, I remember the very beginning when I decided to get better and went to treatment, like sitting down at meals three times a day was so hard because as a mom, you're like jumping up and getting stuff for everybody and you're worrying about everybody else. And so like actually just sitting at the table for meals was painfully hard. And then, you know, letting go of controlling the size of my body is something that is still a challenge um, that has been 
you know, a hard part, but then along with it, like, as I've let go of those things, I've gotten the ability to like be present and explore other parts of myself and find things that I enjoy. And it's like opened up this whole world because when you stop only focusing on your food and your body and your, you know, what you're eating, what you're not eating, when you let go of that, it's so hard to let go of it and you have to like surrender and trust. But when you do, there's this whole other world of possibilities. And like before I would be terrified of the unknown, whereas now there is excitement in the unknown. So that, that has been a huge shift. That's great. That's exciting. I love it. And just embracing like what is, even if it's something that is hard, right? Like body acceptance is like embracing, okay, this is, this is my body now and this is what is. And it's okay to still struggle with body image. They often say really that is kind of a part that can be lingering, uh, you know, can come up at different times in your life more often or different emotions can trigger body image thoughts to come up more? Do you find that you get them more at certain time periods or stressors yeah. that come in? Definitely. Like I, I know now when I'm like, you know, trying on seven different outfits and I can't find anything that I like, I have to be like, okay, what is going on? Because this isn't just about the outfit. You know, maybe I'm going to be seeing somebody that I feel anxious around because I feel like they're like judging my body or, you know, maybe I'm doing something new that I've never done before. So I definitely am aware of it. It still comes up and it's still something I'm working on, but having an awareness of what's going on helps for sure. Like before I was just blindly going through it and it wasn't like, I couldn't see my way out of it because I was in it, but now I can see like, there's a bigger thing happening here. Yeah. That objective observer is so helpful. Yeah. 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 And also for me learning about, you know, really getting in touch with my values and what matters to me the most, and also learning about how health at every size is a social justice issue has really helped me shift my recovery as well. Because, you know, I grew up believing everything in diet culture around me and thinking that that was the world and that was the only truth. And to um, learn about how it's actually a system of oppression. And, you know, we do treat people differently in our society based on their body size. And it's not right. And I don't agree with that. Like my values as a human, I don't agree with that. So I don't want to make choices in my life that support that. And it, it just, it helps me to let go of that trying to control my body, right? Because I'm trying to control my body. I'm trying to fit into that system that says a smaller body is better and I'm a better person if I'm smaller. And that's not my true value system. That's what I thought I was, but I've learned to know myself more. Yeah. And you're like, look at you now when you're not, when you're not making that your focus to sit and fit into a smaller body. Now you're reaching a huge, larger audience with your writing. You know, you have contributed so many pieces of Recovery Warriors that have just seen massive traction online. It's amazing to see how that your writing now, which is something that you're passionate about, is allowing you to be seen in, in, in a different way, right? So not like staying small, playing small, trying trying to control your body prevents you from doing other big things in life. Right. Yeah. And like, it comes down to, I really don't believe my purpose on this life in this journey. If you want to get spiritual, like my purpose is not to keep my body in a small size. Like there's just so many more things to be alive for. And it just feels mm -hmm. good to know that. And like, I just have to keep remembering that because when you're in that dark place, you don't see that. It's hard to see out of that dark place. 
I just, I don't believe anybody's purpose is to spend their life shrinking their body. No, I agree. And no one, I mean, there's this exercise that I've led a few times where you really think about what do you want people to say at your funeral? And, you know, they're not going to be commenting on your body and your personality, what you brought to the, to the table in terms of your gifts and your talents and your connections with others. Yeah. And yeah, the connections with others. And that's like another huge thing that recovery brought me, you know, when I was so deep in the eating disorder, I wasn't connecting with other people and I could be, you know, with friends and not be able to tell you anything they were talking about because I was so in my head and not present. And I was that way with my kids too. And, you know, connections to me, connections is one of the main reasons that we're alive. And that's, you have love, you share love through connections. And that is so much more important than my body size. And, and I was cut off from all of that when I was stuck in the eating disorder. Isn't love one of your values? Like love, connection, love, connection, um, creativity and healing. Yeah. And so how has the understanding, because I know you like to learn. I, mm. I, I can sense that you've even, we had all the creative activities and you went on to even learn hand lettering. You're on your own and like to really just keep learning new things and with writing and even writing a book, right? You've authored right. a book in this time. Right. So tell me about that process of having doubts about being a writer to authoring a book. Yeah. I mean, you had to really change a lot of things in your physical life such as your schedule and right to make that happen how did that how did that work for you yeah part of that I had to like realize that I you know I'm a part of a team raising these kids everything with my boys is not my responsibility and that control piece too of like when you're in that place of thinking you have to do everything then I'm the only one that knows how to do it right and so like part of my recovery I act I had to let go of some of the parenting and let my husband step in which was good for him and good for the boys And um, so I had to carve out time for me to be able to write. And um, so I think my youngest, we put him in like creative play and preschool a little bit earlier than the other one. So I had some time a couple of times a week without kids. And that was my writing time. And it was a priority for me. And I definitely have learned a lot about my own journey through writing it and have learned about writing. I've had it edited and it's not done. And I I feel like I got a little bit stuck, but not really. I don't think it's it's not time yet for it to be finished. I think I'm still going through some things before it will be ready to be finished. But, you know, my hope is that it will go out into the world one day and help other people. But it taught me so much just about, yeah, like I can be a writer and what I have to say is valuable and it, people can relate to it. And, you know, also writing the articles on the website, it's just amazing to connect with other people that you know, told me that my words have helped them because other people's articles on the website helped me too. And it's just, it's a cool way to connect. Um, And it's so cool to connect with other people across the world through Recovery Warriors and to know that, you know, we're not in this alone. And, and I think that the book, you know, the book is not done yet. And it's, it's, I'm still in the process. I heard Dr. Anita Johnson say that it took her 10 years to write Eating in the Light of the Moon. So I've got plenty of time. (laughs) Oh yeah, yeah, you're good. I I love to always, you know, remember that there's wisdom in the resistance. So if there's yeah. any kind of stalling of a creative project, it's yeah. because it's marinating. It's something's happening that's yeah, you know, just waiting in the the back to come yeah. up. 
And I think my writing is getting better the more I'm doing it. And as I'm like, I'm learning every day about writing. So I think that it's, it, it will come when it's meant to come. So. With the writing, what I think was so important that you said there is that you had to let go of control and ask and be assertive, like ask to get some of your needs met. I need time to myself. I need time to work on my writing, but you need to ask for it, right? You right. need to assert yourself right, and not just assume that your husband's going to say, hey, honey, let's do this so you can write, right? right. <laughs> um, yeah. So you have to ask for it. But also that piece about letting go of only you are the mom who can give your kid snack. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. I see a lot of moms who think that they have to do everything. Yeah. I mean, I parent so much different than I did, you know, 10 years ago. And then I think about if I had had kids in my 20s when I originally won them, I can't even imagine what kind of a mom I would have been. But yeah, I have let go of so much. And, and you know, it's funny because I feel like, you know, in recovery, I've learned about diet culture and learned to kind of reject a lot of the norms in most of our culture about bodies. And then in the parenting world, there are a lot of norms in the parenting world of how a mom is supposed to be and what she's supposed to do. And I am a different mom now that I have stepped into my authentic self. And I'm not, I don't feel like I have to volunteer for every committee to be the best mom. You know, I, I help in the ways that feel right for me and I'm supportive in the ways that I feel are right for me, but I'm doing things according to what, you know, my intuition says is best, not what makes me a perfect mom, according to the other moms on the PTA. <laughs> so it's, it's, sometimes it feels a little bit weird, but it's, it's definitely better. I think it's better for me. And I think it's better for my kids and my marriage too, <laughs> because we're a team and, and I trust him, you know, he can do these things with my kids just as well as I can. Yeah. Oh, that's so great. And yeah, they have more, more time to bond with him. Mm -hmm. And I love how you're speaking from this place of alignment really just getting aligned with, you know, really the most important resource we have is time. Like, how do you want to spend your time yeah. in trying to impress others or be something that you're not or, right. you know, try to create an impression yeah. of who you are when maybe you just want to be that mom that wants to write. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. yeah. And like thinking of time also, I think recovery helped me figure out like, the kinds of people I want to spend my time with too and like where my energy is going there as well. And again, caring less about what they think and more about what fills my soul and what exchanges are, you know, what friendships are equal where we're both giving and the energy flows versus feeling like I'm just taking on other people's baggage. So it has changed that as well. Yeah. I know we've talked about that actually a few yeah. times over yeah. the years. Yeah, I think that one of the activities in your class was helpful where we, we like mapped out who was on our team and who we wanted to be on our team and our and our goals, I think. And it really got me thinking about like, where am I spending my energy? I don't have to say yes to everybody that asks something of me just because I feel like I'm supposed to, especially if it's sucking my energy <laughs> away from doing things that feed my soul. So. Or if they're like, I remember you had some kind of people in your life who are more diet talkers and yes. who are really <laughs> still locked into this idea around, well, let's bash our bodies because that's what moms do, yes. <laughs> like people, women do, yes. people do. And so finding new friend groups where you can mm -hmm. feel more nurtured in the direction you're going and who you're becoming. Yeah. 
and then now you even lead a support circle, right? As in terms of a, I guess, a reading circle or women's support circle. What, what would you call it? We call it a moon circle. Yeah, it's a women's circle, I guess. Oh, <laughs> um, and yeah, and it's amazing. And I, you know, we make it a priority. We we've been meeting every week, and like once the pandemic hit, we switched to meeting virtually sometimes, and we meet at the park now sometimes. But it has been just a really cool way to connect with women and like learn and grow. And I don't know, we've just done so many cool things and it's, yeah, it's the kind of friendships that feed my soul. So it's very Mm -hmm. high priority to me and I'm grateful, so grateful for it. And it's something I never would have done because I thought I'm not a leader. I don't initiate things. I had wanted to do it for years. I was in a women's circle when I was in graduate school that a professor I adored, she had one. And I had always wanted to do my own, but I didn't think I could. It wasn't something I could do. And then in recovery, I was like, why am I not doing this? And then I just kind of put myself out there and it has been scary. I mean, now it's amazing, but it was definitely scary. I would go into each activity thinking, you know, I don't know if it's going to work, and, but it's, we'd love it now. And I'm just super grateful for it. I love that you stepped into that role and just allowed yourself to be, I mean, you have natural leadership qualities in your, in your archetypal signature. So just to let yourself be that natural leader you're born to be. Thank you. That's so cool. Yeah. And so tell me about the moon. Cause I know that's something that is heavily laced into the work I do. And I know that you've like totally dug it. So <laughs> yes. it's always cool when I see like a student who's like as into the moon as I am. <laughs> like, yes. yes, you're getting it. Yes. Have you been using the moon to track your goals and to use it as like a framework to stay in sync and on track with with your goals? Yes, it has been amazing. I have, I learned that from you. And yeah, the idea of, you know, seeing the process of the goals and seeing, um, like, it's not like a, you have to do this goal and meet it and then you're done. It's more of a process. And then at sometimes there are too many goals and I have to figure out which goals are the ones that I really want to foster and which goals am I letting go of and bringing in the artistic element too. Like I've taken my goals and painted them on things I put up on my wall. And I don't know, I've definitely loved learning about astrology as well. That's something we've done in our moon circle. We've learned a lot about astrology. I know now you like know how to read a chart. Yeah. (laughs) I love it. I love astrology. And the more I learn about it, the more I realize I don't know. (laughs) But it's so interesting. And um, yeah, I love it. You know, I had on one of my first moon goals I had on there was to work with you in the recovery world, thinking that there was no way that would ever happen. And here I am several years later, and I'm working with Recovery Warriors. So it works for me. Like it definitely is a new way of, of setting goals. And I love the process of like setting the goals and then kind of seeing what's working and what's not working and then letting go of what's not working, but not like just, it's not over. Like it's a process and a cycle. Um, And, you know, I go outside and I see the moon and it reminds me that I'm connected to something bigger. And yeah, it's been amazing for me. I love how you'll post photos of the moon (laughs) really. And you're like, we're not like it is like, we're all seeing the same moon right now. (laughs) I'm like, yes, it's so cool. Yes. Yeah. And my boys know, they know, like they gave me this necklace with a moon on it. And anytime they see the moon and we have these windows in our house where you can see the moon at night, a lot of times, anytime they see the moon during the day or the night, Mm. mommy, look, the moon, the moon, the moon, because they know how much I love the moon. (laughs) Definitely been a huge part of my recovery. That's so cool. Yeah. (laughs) 
Well, it's such a beautiful symbol of the kind of shadow work that you need to do in order to shine at your full brightness in life. You also have to really dive into your darkness and understand and letting go, right? The cycles of like the new beginning comes from the ending. So yeah, there is this cyclical nature. Yeah, definitely. It's so beautiful. So, you know, I'm curious to know, uh, just kind of wrapping up here, what have been the most important things for you to learn uh, to get to the next level of your recovery? So what are some like key lessons for you? One key lesson has been to trust. Instead of trying so desperately to control certain things and like hoping for certain outcomes, you know, and it starts with like your body and food, but then when you learn to let go of that, then you like look at all the ways in your life you're doing that not related to food. And I think that's a lifelong spiritual journey of learning to to let go of trying to control things. So that has been probably the biggest lesson. Also learning mindful self-compassion has been huge for me to learn a different way to speak to myself and to learn to be able to tolerate feelings that are uncomfortable or situations that are uncomfortable where in the past I used the eating disorder to just avoid the feelings. But now learning mindful self-compassion and to like get me through difficult moments and also to, you know, help me through the changes that you face in recovery. And to be more, I think that helps me be more compassionate to other people as well, you know, and so hopefully I'm a, a better mom that way because I'm teaching them to be compassionate and have a, have better relationships with people because there's compassion between us. So mindful self-compassion would be huge. And I think learning like, yeah, learning to take time for myself and learning to practice meditation has been helpful. You know, I, I didn't really ever realize that there was a strong anxiety component underneath my eating disorder until probably the last several years. And, and so learning skills to cope with anxiety has been very helpful for my recovery because once the food piece is not there, there's still going to be difficult things I'm facing the rest of my life. So learning to cope in a way that is actually taking care of myself. So I guess that's kind of connected with the mindful self-compassion, you know, learning to take care of myself through the difficult challenges has been really important. Yeah. I can't speak highly enough of mindful self-compassion and that mindfulness piece is such an important component of it. It's like that observer and just being aware of like, yeah. Like example of the dressing, getting seven outfits, like, wow, yeah. set. Like, you just tried seven outfits on and right. you don't feel happy with your body. What's going on here? <laughs> Something else might be going on. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And it's okay. Whereas without it, then you're just sitting there like, I'm ugly, I'm fat. You know what I mean? Like when you're not mm-hmm. aware of like mm-hmm. just mm-hmm. the situation and the anxiety yeah. that's present yeah. and the fears. Right. Or then I would judge myself for having those feelings. And then you have like the shame and the guilt yeah. on top of the feelings that you already have. That doesn't help anybody. Such a spiral. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> it feels so much better to do it the compassionate way. It feels so much better. Mm-hmm. It's like a, just a, just a loving presence that isn't, you know, it's just there to meet you in that moment of suffering and just yeah, discontent. Yeah. <laughs> without trying to change it. Right. Any closing thoughts or advice or anything you want to share with the Warriors before we wrap it up here? I'm just so grateful for, you know, the podcast that you put out into the world for giving me, you know, the hope to keep going and to like realize that I can have a life outside of being consumed with food and body. And I just 
would say to anybody listening, like that if you have even just a teeny tiny bit of hope that your life could be better or different, like hold on to that and feed that and, you know, find, find whatever it is that's going to help you get out of that spot because you don't have to spend your whole life consumed with your body and with food. Like there's so much more in the world and there's purpose for everybody. I believe everybody has a purpose and it's not to shrink their bodies. <laughs> so I would just yes. say, hold on to that hope and like go after it. Thank you. And just, I'm so grateful that we connected and I've got to see you evolve over the years and to be this amazing woman standing here today and so much strength and power and connection with your true core values and purpose. And I just, I love it. Thank you so much. And thank you for, you know, helping me find my way. Well, it's just a little light and you found your voice and it's amazing to see how far you've come. Yeah. Good job. Thank you. Thank you, Lizette Hoscheck. You can learn more about Lizette's work as a diet recovery coach over at lizettehoscheck.com or follow her on her Instagram at recoveringlove. I love that name, recoveringlove. Links below in the episode notes. Now let's go over three key takeaways from this conversation to help you recover strong. Key takeaway number one. Be curious about meditation and mindfulness. Mental health professionals are paying more and more attention to the connection between eating disorders and anxiety. Some even consider eating disorders to outright be a type of anxiety disorder. Lisette came to discover the connection between anxiety and her struggles with food. She embraced the practice of meditation as a way to cope with anxiety in a more constructive and helpful way. Learning to practice meditation has been helpful. I didn't really ever realize that there was a strong anxiety component underneath my eating disorder until probably the last several years. And and so learning skills to cope with anxiety has been very helpful for my recovery because once the food piece is not there, there's still going to be difficult things I'm facing the rest of my life. So learning to cope in a way that is actually taking care of myself. So I guess that's kind of connected with the mindful self-compassion, you know, learning to take care of myself through the difficult challenges has been really important. Eating disorder behaviors can be a coping mechanism. It is so common for intense anxiety to come up once you move away from these behaviors, which can only make you want to go right back to them. It can create a vicious cycle. It's important to embrace more helpful and less destructive coping mechanisms instead. Meditation and mindfulness are popular and proven ways to achieve this. If you're curious to learn more about how to apply mindfulness to recovery, we have an episode on exactly that. It's titled, How Do I Work With Critical Thoughts? And it goes over how to apply mindfulness to eating disorder recovery. I linked it up for you in episode notes below. So that is key takeaway number one. Be curious about meditation and mindfulness. Key takeaway number two. Let go of control. Eating disorders and control issues go hand in hand. So often people restrict as a way to control their food when they feel like they can't control other things in their life. Or people might feel completely out of control with food instead. No matter what way you cut it, it all comes down to trying to hold on to control. In recovery, one of the biggest lessons Lisette learned was to let go of control. 
One key lesson has been to trust. Instead of trying so desperately to control certain things and like hoping for certain outcomes, you know, and it starts with like your body and food. But then when you learn to let go of that, then you like look at all the ways in your life you're doing that not related to food. And I think that's a lifelong spiritual journey of learning to to let go of trying to control things. So that has been probably the biggest lesson. Trying to control your body and trying to make it small only prevents you from big healing. If you're struggling with control, whether that's having too much of it or none at all, you do need to let go of it in order to move forward. That was key takeaway number two, let go of control. Finally, key takeaway number three, there is always hope no matter what age you are. Hope is one of the most powerful things to keep you moving forward in recovery, but sometimes hope is hard to find, especially when you feel like you're experiencing setback after setback or that you might be too far gone and beyond help. Lisette once believed that she would never recover at her age. She'd been to therapy and treatment and groups, but was still struggling. She worried she'd be stuck in her eating disorder forever. Then she started listening to this podcast right here and heard stories of recovery. This helped her see and understand that recovery is possible. The hope that was sparked ignited the flame of her recovery journey and has now led her full circle to help others as a diet recovery coach. I'm just so grateful for, you know, the podcast that you put out into the world for giving me, you know, the hope to keep going and to like realize that I can have a life outside of being consumed with food and body. And I just would say to anybody listening like that, if you have even just a teeny tiny bit of hope that your life could be better or different, like hold on to that and feed that and Find whatever it is that's going to help you get out of that spot because you don't have to spend your whole life consumed with your body and with food. Like there's so much more in the world and there's purpose for everybody. I believe everybody has a purpose and it's not to shrink their bodies. <laughs> so hold on to that hope and like go after it. Hope is real. Recovery is real. Now that might sound too good to be true for you at this point or that hope and recovery are for other people, but not for you. The thing about hope is that it's always there, even when you can't see it or feel it. And there's actual research and evidence that backs up the power of hope in recovery and mental wellness. We have a previous episode on this titled The Science of Hope, three research-backed components that I also linked up below for you in the episode notes. Embrace hope and look for it wherever you can. You will find it. If you're struggling to find it right now, that's okay too. In the meantime, at the very least, you can hold out hope for hope. There is always hope no matter what age you are. So these are our three key takeaways from this conversation with Lisette Haschek. Well, my warrior friend, thank you for having the discipline to listen in. If you found this episode helpful and know somebody in recovery who could benefit from its inspiring message, please share this show with them. It would mean the world to us at Recovery Warriors if we can get our cause out to more people struggling with an eating disorder. So if what you heard today was helpful, share the show with another warrior or anyone on your treatment team. You can do this directly from your podcast player or send them over to recoverywarriors.com. We have a goldmine of free resources there for all stages of recovery. And until the next episode, may compassion light the path you are on and courage keep you on it. You totally got this, warrior. Warrior.